folks, it's time. It's time to talk about it. It's time. Hello and welcome to the Hitman's Last Great Year, a Smack Attic podcast project. We are talking about Bret Hart's final year in WWF, roughly 1997. But we go a little bit before and we stop a little bit also before the end of 97. I am your host, Matt Vaughn, and each week on the podcast, I'm thrilled to have with me uh, one of my great pals. And this week I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to start – I'm going to start searching through YouTube. So I'm going through them. I'm typing uh, cool guy, hunk, hunky dude, guy, 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 guy with sexy voice. Um, and it, but that, that got me nowhere. So instead, I went to the board game section of YouTube, and after I t- looked at like I don't know eight thousand nerds, I found my good friend Daniel Padapa, <laughs> who's with me, the least nerdy guy who has a great board game channel on YouTube, Bunch War Party. Thank you, Daniel, for being here, my man. <laughs> Thanks, Matt, for having me, and thank you for the kind words. We know it's not true. I am the nerdiest person on YouTube, but we're having a good time over there, Bunch War Party. We're 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 in a groove. We're doing some fun things and having a good time and. It's rock and roll. I love it. You know, I was just watching. I I, I sometimes get stuck in little um, cul-de-sacs on YouTube, and um, it's like on interests I didn't know I had, or like things right. that are like we're just like I'm like, why am I watching beekeeping videos? What why what is this what is this itch that's scratching me? And one of the ones that came up, but this is partially because YouTube uh, has algorithms where you watch one video and they're like, do you like this stuff? And you're like, I think I might actually. So it's like one of them is something called bushcraft, uh, which is just like going to the woods and just like. It's like camping, but you do a bunch of construction first. <laughs> like you're like sawing logs and setting stuff up. And I said to my wife, I was like watching one of the videos, and I'm just like, what do they what do they do after they set it up? They just sit down. Like it's something they do. They just spend like an hour getting everything ready. But when we're talking about nerdy people on YouTube, I re- I watched two bushcraft videos, and I saw both the guys who made them in because the, at first it's just their hands, they're just building stuff. Yeah, uh, and they both have little hats on, like hats, like a little small cap or like a little. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, and you're gonna, you're like, oh, they're like guys with hats. But then I was like, well, they're outside, so they should be wearing hats. Like one guy had kind of like a a crocodile hunter kind of um uh uh, uh not crocodile hunter, what, what crocodile Dundee. I'm actually yes. actually both. I think the I think that hat is actually shared between the croc the Aussie Crocs. And I was like, well, he kind of just like he's out in the woods. It, it makes sense. He's an outdoorsman. Um, this good. podcast is not about bushcraft. It's not about outdoorsman. It's about the it's about it's time, Daniel. It's about the in your house. Twelve. It's time. Exclamation mark. This is a pay-per-view that has an exclamation mark in the title. They mean business, man. They're not joking around. Here's a fun fact, Daniel. The day this podcast comes out is 26 years to the day after the original broadcast. Wow. Isn't that fun? Just kind of lines up fun. that way. That is fun. Now, Matt, I have a question for you. Yes, please. Who's buying this pay-per-view? <laughs> when, when they hear this match card rolled out, they're like, here's your main event. This is what you want, right? Well, and, the, and they already have they already have ads for Royal Rumble. They've already said, hey, guess Shawn Michaels gets the winner of this at Royal Rumble. Like, it's almost they're just like, look. This is a prequel to Royal Rumble. You can get it if, if you if you don't. I mean, this to me is a pay per where they're just like, look, the most intense fans are going to buy it. Everybody else, they can kind of go pound sand. Um, but yeah, you have this, you have Bret Hart versus Psycho Sid, uh, which I get, it might be compelling, right? Where you're kind of like, Bret just came back at Survivor Series. Um, he's been booked really well. We've never really seen him going against Sid, at least in a, in a big showing like this. I don't know. I don't know who's buying this show. I don't know if anybody did buy this show. <laughs> it's good. Like it's this is this is not this is a uh, this is a podcast. We're talking about Bret Hart, but we're also talking about a time when WWF starts to heat up, and we don't really see the fruits of that success until pretty much the very end. Because um, WrestleMania, that's going to be coming up, the WrestleMania 13 that comes up after Royal Rumble '97, uh, it doesn't do great. It actually it it, uh, it underperforms. Uh, the pay per view at the end near the end of the year, Survivor Series '97. 
does better than WrestleMania. There are like four or five WCW pay-per-views that do better than WrestleMania. Um, and I'm sure there are probably 12 WCW pay-per-views that did better than In Your House 12, It's Time. Which... <laughs> well, and, and it's a shame, Matt, because WrestleMania 13 is arguably one of the better WrestleManias, critically speaking. I don't know if that's true. I think it has a good match. Oh, come on. This one good match. What, do you talk, what else is there? We'll talk about it on the oh. show. Here's the thing. We're going to talk about it on the show. <laughs> You were looking at me like you disappointed me. And it's like, oh, look, here's the so thing. Disappointed. The best best match we cover this podcast might be on WrestleMania 13. But when we get there, if you're, I don't know if you're on the show or whatever it is, you're going to watch it and be like, is this better than WrestleMania 10, 17, uh, 20, I don't know. One of the, well, one well of the I, said, I said the top. You just, you just listed like the other like two great WrestleManias. So it's like, if it's is better it, okay, than, well, first off, is it better than 15? Okay, and, and then let's go from there. Okay, was it, is, it better better than than is it better than eight? I don't know if it's better than eight, honestly, Daniel. Russell, eight, that's I right. Okay, we can have that conversation. And we'll talk about it then. We gotta I'm, talk. I'm just, I'm just saying, Chicago Street Fight in my heart forever. So whatever, whatever. I really want you to go back and watch that match because I, <laughs> I think I watched it on that long ago, and I was kind of like, whoa, there's a fun fire extinguisher thing in that moment. They do those two kind of fire extinguishers. Is one that shoots out, I think, like foam, and one that shoots out like dust, or like, not, right. not dust, but powder. And the one you want for wrestling is the foam, and what they used was powder. And so at ringside, people were like coughing because they're like, they're literally <laughs> using something that's supposed to like get rid of like oxygen and like attack fire. And right. it's, it's, Jim Ross is like, brat, is a fruit comment. Oh, my job. Yeah. yeah, anyway. Well, there, there's, a, uh, there's a bear base complaint or like, uh, uh, <laughs> There's I don't know if that's real or whatever. I we got to talk about that moment because it's a moment in the show where just out of nowhere someone says, "Oh, there's some mace." You're like, "What?" Anyway, that's later on. We're talking about in your house twelve. It's time. Uh, it aired December fifteenth, nineteen ninety six, twenty six years ago today. If you're listening to the podcast, the day it comes out, and you should. Why would you not? Uh, live. It was live on pay per view. It uh, it came from the West Palm Beach Auditorium in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, which is in the northern part of the Miami metropolitan area. If you live in Miami and you heard me say that, you probably went, why is he specifying that? But if you're like me and I'm like, people just throw around like things for, for Miami or for Florida, they're just kind of like, Panama City, Chattanooga, and all these other things. That's Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, make, you're still making a point. It's still, but it's, it's still the same it's, point. I don't know these things, right? And so it's like, no, like if you look at a map of the United States and they, they have little thoughts like Chicago's here. It's like Chicago is actually an enormous metropolitan area that is like a huge part of like Illinois and Miami is the same way in Florida where it's this huge chunk of it, but you just have like little dots represented on a map. Um, do you know who, who, what this building is currently being used for? I, I couldn't tell you what is at the time, being... the time recording the, uh, the Jehovah's witnesses have uh, retained control of it. They have an arena in, uh, in Florida. Hey. They, they pack full of people. Um, now, here's hey, an, hang your hang your knock god on a pole. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's let's not get controversial here, Dan. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. You you started it. I just mentioned it. Uh, now, the interesting thing here, Daniel, is that attendance for the show was supposedly nine thousand six hundred people. Okay. The problem with that is that everything I could find on Wikipedia says that only six thousand people can fit in this arena. So it's they're, they're hanging from the rafters, as Charlie uh, Monson would say. Well, well, well. J- Jim Ross uh, makes a comment about that early on. He's like, "If we could have sold more tickets, we'd be selling more tickets." It sounds like he's mad at Vince for booking this arena. 
He's like, we're gonna book the, you know, where the Miami Heat play. But so we're this. There, there's a lot, like, like way more than when Taz and Michael Cole were commentating. Because you got Vince and Jr. who are like behind the scenes, like making decisions. There's so much, like, it feels like we're behind the scenes on things that we shouldn't be, like way more often than I'm comfortable with. And yeah. It's a really interesting feeling. It's like, wait, are they talking? Are they talking business? Like, and like, it feels like Vince is like directing half the time. Like he's commentating, and he's like. So back in the arena. So back in the arena. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, he is. I mean, he's called. He's trying to get everything to work that way. There is a moment later on, which we can talk more at length then, when Jr. asks Vince McMahon, "Have you ever been betrayed?" And Vince McMahon said, "Yes." And Jr. says, "It's it's heartbreak." <laughs> and you're like. <laughs> Am I supposed to understand that The Undertaker is heartbroken right now? This is like, you know what? I will say this. There's a time when we did the SmackDown 6 podcast and Michael Cole described Undertaker as a freight train of emotion. For some reason, these commentators want you to know The Undertaker has, he's like an ocean. And underneath the surface, there's a roiling emotional heart inside there that is feeling things deeply. He is, I don't know if he's in therapy and he's just working through that out or what, but... For of all the people in wrestling to be to constantly describe someone as emotional, to direct that at the Undertaker is right. bizarre. That it's happened in, in multiple eras. We, we uh, might call him that. the dead man, but his heart is very much alive. It's, it's 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 like problematically alive. It's like it's bursting out of him. Oh my gosh. Okay. Before I really get into this, Daniel, can we just? Can I, can, I'm gonna want you to raise your your nearest forty, because uh, we gotta pour one out for Vader. Because something we gotta say up front. Yeah, here. man, this is sad. This This review is called It's Time. It is named after Vader because Vader was supposed to win the WWF Championship against Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series. He's supposed to main event the show with Brett. He's supposed to uh, supposedly lose the title at Royal Rumble 1997 uh, for reasons that are not 100% uh, stated or or maybe aren't aren't necessarily official. Um, That's why it was given to Psycho Sid instead. I think there was a time where they were debating between the two of them. I think Shawn Michaels might have put his uh, foot down on wanting Sid instead of Vader because I mean he was he probably gets along very well with Sid, and um, well he seems to hate Sid too. Like Shawn Michaels is a jerk at this point, man. And it's oh yeah, hard. Okay, so I need to tell a story. Please. About this. So Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler of all time. Yes. And my boys know this. Mm-hmm. You have two. You have two young sons. That's true. Right. So these are the boys you're talking about. Not like you're not your crew. My, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When boys. we roll up to the club, my boys are like, "Yeah, this man, Shawn Michaels, has his heart, man, man." So we're sitting there, and uh, I was just catching the tail end of the pay per view today, and I was watching it with Owen and Ethan, and Shawn Michaels is on commentary. Yes. That's all he's doing. And well, it's not all he's doing. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's the point. That's the yeah. point. So Owen says to me, uh, Dad, is he your favorite? I'm like, yeah, Sean Michaels is my favorite. And he's like, why is he your favorite? He's so mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just, he's he's on commentary, just just dumping on people, burying them, using kind of backstage terminology on guys, uh, yes. offending, offending small children who hear their, who look at their father, like, why are these people your heroes? You're kind of like, oh, well, I mean, I. I liked him uh, more when he was like kind of more Christian later, I guess. I don't know. He was yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly what I said. Yeah. I really hope that sometime you'll watch like a like a more recent NXT and you'll your kids will see Shawn Michaels and they'll be like, "What, Daddy? Why? Why is your favorite an old man in a cowboy hat who's got a, kind of an eye problem?" And you'll be like, "I don't look. All right, in his prime, <laughs> yeah. nobody to, you know, to quote the James Bond theme, nobody did it better. All right, that's, that's right. That's right. 
That's right. Oh, so so I really yeah, uh, it's just it's a hard time to be watching Shawn Michaels right now. It's a hard right. time to be his biggest supporter, and it's like he's just being mean. And so this whole thing about Vader, the thing that gets me. So yep. Sean is supposed to be like the best at the business. Like he's supposed to, even backstage, even with all his problems, he's supposed to be able to see what's best for the company. Sure. And that's supposedly why he's such a jerk is because he fights for what's best. This is such a counterpoint. After you watch that SummerSlam match, for years I just assumed that SummerSlam match was just the worst. The SummerSlam match in 1996 against Vader, Shawn Michaels and yes. Vader, and how they're all yes. the, the, how, you know uh, Shawn Michaels kind of throwing a hissy fit and having frustrations in that match. Yeah. Yes. So like I only saw the the Columbia House like edited the Coliseum video. Yeah, yeah. Match. The Coliseum video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, that edited video of that match, and so I go, I didn't remember much, and we watched it this past summer. Yep. And it is excellent. Yeah. It is such a good match, and so you see that, and you see what Sid can do. And just like your your wrestle business brain as Shawn Michaels, aren't you just like I can get over myself and put on two more amazing matches? I mean that I mean the the, the I can get over myself thing is where we we completely lose it, which is <laughs> no, he can't. Like that's I think I think that's the problem. Uh, it, I mean there's all sorts of things it's we don't so know about. It's so frustrating. Imagine that trilogy. Frustrating. Imagine that trilogy. It's a great it's a great it's a great missing piece. You're you're 100 right. And the and I as somebody who. Um, over the last two years, I've probably seen on, um, on the WWE network in Canada or on Peacock, I've probably gone and searched for and, and watched every like great Vader match. Uh, so like Vader versus Sting. I made you watch at least one Vader versus Sting, yeah. I think. Yeah, you did. Like happily done it. And so the idea that we, the idea that in history, we never got to have Vader, the man they call Vader, the William Mammoth himself, the, the big Van Vader as WWF champion. Is, is something that's sad with his legacy. Uh, thankfully, you have years of him being a WCW champion with that nice big round belt, which was kind of the, the weird one in between the big gold belt being uh, elsewhere. But uh, yeah, that's why we pour one out tonight, folks. So Great. wherever you are, I want you to grab the nearest bottle of liquid, and I want you to tip it over and say, it's time, it's time. It's Vader time. And do this with your fingers. That's right. And do, do the kind of the Vulcan things. Ideally, you do the two V signs with your hands. You kind of shuffle back and forth. Like a 400-pound crab, just like uh, Leon White, <laughs> a.k.a. Vader, used to do. A gift to the industry, R.I.P. Vader. I'm sorry this show has your catchphrase, but not you, sadly. So, Daniel, <clears throat> let's talk about some context. Let's talk about last week's episode of the podcast when we covered Raw. And on last week's episode, the WWF champion, Psycho Sid, beat up Triple H, our Intercontinental champion. But he only won by countout. It was a dumb little match because he just beat Triple H up and then he lost my count out. We won my count out and it was like oh, trying to save Triple H, but it was dumb. Undertaker took out Mankind in a no holds barred match, and Bret Hart said he was going to excellently execute at Sunday's pay per view. Uh, yeah, I mean it was that was kind of it. They had a couple of a couple of matches there, and uh, Bret did a pretty good promo, I would say. And uh, yeah, uh, th- that was it. That was leading after the show. I mean, it is another time of like, hey, are we gonna? Uh, who, who's gonna buy the show and who's excited about it? I don't know. That's right. Um, the question is: Often on this podcast, Daniel, we have bonus matches. When Bret Hart doesn't have a match, we have a bonus match. Do we have one today? We do not, because Bret Hart is in this pay per view's main event. So when we talk about this card and we finish it, um, that'll be it. Now I will say something I'm excited about. Actually, I'll get to it in this next section here because we're talking about what the good folks in West Palm Beach, Florida, saw before the show. These are the dark matches. Or sorry, there's one dark match. But actually, there's three. I'll get to it. 
In the first dark match, Brackus defeated Dr. X. So that sounds like nothing. Daniel's giving me a very a wonderfully confused look here. Like I just told him, like, I don't know, one plus one equals potatoes. Um, Brackus is a German bodybuilder guy. We're going to talk about him later. He's going to get promos and stuff like that in 1997. Okay. Um, Dr. X is Tom Pritchard. Uh, and yeah. so this is the guy. So Tom Pritchard is around it. He's uh, training Rocky Maivia, who is on the free-for-all. This is what you see if you didn't, if you pay for the pay-per-view or if you didn't, and you can kind of see it for free for a little bit on the pay-per-view channel. Uh, Rocky Maivia, he defeated Salvatore Sincere by disqualification. Um, now, the weird thing about this is that later on, Vince McMahon says that Rocky used a head scissor to win. But the two sites that I use as references for this say he won by disqualification. It's strange. I don't know what to make of that. Okay. Time an answer there. Uh, so, Daniel, let's talk about In Your House 12, It's Time, from December 15th, 1996. Uh, I'm, one thing I'll be clear about right up front is that uh, I was like – I've seen it a couple places. It's In Your House 12. Like, they do, like, a number for it. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Is that what they actually did at the time? Like, where they called it the, the 12? But if you look on more than one VHS cover, it does say In Your House 12. Okay. So, I'm, but going by VHS at the time. So you put on the show. First off, it's an hour forty-eight, which is, I think, a very welcome pay-per-view time. Like, I think you know, a Raw hey. at the time is an hour twenty-five, or no, it's not even like that's a that's a Raw, that's a SmackDown today is an hour twenty-five with no commercial breaks. But here it's an hour forty-eight, pretty brisk pace, I would say. Almost, almost, you can say that the shorter the event time, there's a better chance of it being good, at least. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, like, like just something, something happens. There's like a magic time frame. Where you have enough constraint, but you also have enough time to work with. You kind of slim down the card, so you just focus on a few things. You do them well. Because, I mean, there's two guys that are huge that don't have a match on this card. And yet, they excellently use them. Yeah. Okay, here's... Sorry. Something thing I should say, though, is that this show, and we'll talk about it at the end, also has two dark matches after the pay-per-view ended. So when the pay-per-view ended, for okay. people in the, in their seats... There are two extra matches. We'll talk about them there because it's it's interesting. And this is something they would do. They would have dark matches after the show. They still do this a little bit. We've talked about it a bit before. But imagine going to a pay-per-view and you start off, you see Dr. You breakfast versus Dr. Extra, like whatever that is. Then you get to the pay-per-view itself. And then I guess probably towards the end, they're like, hey, but stay tuned because we have a couple more matches. And you're like, that's straight. Or you go home and be like, hey, the pay-per-view, the world title match was in the middle. <laughs> like, no, not, not for the people <laughs> yeah, at home. Yeah. Right. Weirdly. Um, so, yeah, we start the show off here. We're told the World Wrestling Federation has been a revolutionary force for over 50 years in sports I love that. I love that. Like, this is this is my happy place. So your happy place was that early 2000 SmackDown era. This is mine. This is, like, where I live and breathe in wrestling world. Just, like, so much childhood nostalgia pumping through my eardrums. I love it. Yeah. This is also – I mean, this is, like, a happy place in the sense that, like, I help, like this is, like, my cottage happy place where I have a happy place where I'm at home. And then I have one where I'm, like, oh, you know, over there is also somewhere I like to stay. And that makes me happy, too. That's so right. keeping okay. it there. Uh, in my mind, I can have a cottage. Uh, so we begin. We open with a video package. And Bret Hart is talking about excellently executing against Psycho Sid for the WWF title. And we see Which footage of – Which confusing when the executioner comes off the screen. It's true. And yeah, he should feels compelled to clarify that the executioner is executing, but not excellently executing. Yes, I mean, they couldn't foresee that as a problem. Uh, where they, yeah, where they get one of this. There's a hitman and an executioner. This sounds. This is 1996. This sounds insanely violent. This sounds like attitude era stuff. Uh, I guess there was a killer Kowalski uh, in like the 60s. So, right. right. <laughs> so. Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, we've 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 done some pretty violent stuff over the time. Um, Austin Theory, I don't know, this is not the same. 
<laughs> but yeah, so uh, Brett's talking about stuff. There's footage in black and white, but periodically it's cut with faster footage with black and pink accents. And then the screen reads, it's time, and we see Sid's intense face. And then we hear, and now, Milton Bradley Karate Fighters presents WWF In Your House, It's Time. So, so Matt, I'm desperate to know who, who won the tournament. We find out on Monday. We were, oh, we, it's, we're not it's there next, yet. No, not yet. Jerry Lawler <laughs> versus, I think, Sable. Uh, let's, let's stick around for next week's episode, which would be which would be live, by the way. They have to do a live version of Karate Fighters, oh, which I don't, know, okay. I don't know if they work that kind of quote-unquote, work that competition yeah. or what they do. That's right. Oh, my gosh. So Vince McMahon welcomes everyone to Palm Beach, Florida, and we see the arena outside. And then we what see a the... wonderful water feature they have there, hey, man? They do. I mean, it's, it's so the arena is like this kind of domey-looking thing, and there's, like, concrete, and there's, like, a concrete hill, and there's water there. Um, that does come up. That... Ha- <laughs> that, that <laughs> I mean, it's weird to think that something like that, you know, the outside of the arena could fa- factor into the show, but... That hill into the water factors very prominently into the show. That's but right. That's right. Uh, in the arena itself, we have the classic in your house set, which looks like a little house with a garage oh, uh, and a door so and everything like that. So um, weirdly, uh, wrestlers don't come out of the door. They come out of the garage. And I've always found that strange that they don't come out of the door. I think they should come out the door. They should close it. I think that I think the heels should leave the door open. I think the face should close the door behind them. <laughs> People love the, right. the AEW thing where they have the two entrances. The good guys, the bad guys. But I think it's better if you just be like, look, that guy's polite. We cheer for him. Yeah. If, we, if a guy's like a tweener, he like almost closes it. And he's like, ah, maybe. I don't know. Let's leave it ajar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me think about this. I might close it all the way back. I might. We will see. Um, so, yeah, with Vince McMahon is uh, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. And JR says he thinks that Bret Hart is going to win by submission tonight. Sure. Start off. Just make a prediction. Why not? Uh, you might as well talk about predictions because the first match of the night, classic opener, Leaf Cassidy versus Flash Funk. Leaf yeah, Cassidy. <laughs> Leaf Cassidy is Al Snow. Uh, he's got beads in his hair, uh, and they kind of braided in there. Now, I did some research here. Al Snow had a couple of kids at this point, so it's, it is possible he did like some beading and braids with his like, with his daughter. Uh, right. if he had a daughter. Um, he's also the heel, and I knew that because he came out. He was like kind of ah, shut up. He was kind of like that general like ah. I'm yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't carry through much. But yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, he was. He, this is when uh, Leaf Cassidy, Al Snow, he's uh, paired with Marty Jannetty at the time as the new Rockers. But this is just around when Jannetty just uh, asked for a release because he was mad at Vince because they wouldn't break up the supposed new Rockers, which is interesting because he's like, you won't break us up. Well, I'm going to quit. You'll break us up. So it's like he should quit. The new Rockers should break up. And then he should be like, can I come back? Because this is what I wanted. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's like, hey, I can have that. Um, yeah, Flash Funk, um, known as Two Cold Scorpion. He dances a lot. Um, he gets a bunch of pyro at the beginning. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we see Vince dance with Flash Funk, uh, he's really taking his time dancing out of ringside. So, like, at the first, like, <laughs> in an hour and 48 minute pay-per-view, uh, like, four minutes of it are Flash Funk just, like, dancing. Vince dances with him. He's got his, his Funkettes with him as well. Um, yeah, if you want funky, if you want, like, goofy Vince McMahon dancing, you can watch this time at WWF because he does it a bunch. Uh, I also thought, Daniel, watching this, I'm like, these 90s, <laughs> these outfits, rather, are very 90s. Yes. Al- also has a black singlet with, like, uh, like neon lightning accents, and Flash Funk is wearing a sparkly purple onesie with huge silver boots. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a pretty big fan of these guys. I, I'm, I'm all into it, and I'm all into their attire. You know, I'm not gonna give them grief like Hardcore Holly. I think, I think this is fine. <laughs> not give them grief wearing pink and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I will say that, that seeing this match, I'm like, hmm, I'm kind of feeling a lack of star power here. This is a pay per view, and you have Flash Funk, who admittedly had a good debut on television recently. But you have half of the new rockers in a pay-per-view intro. It's like, 
And they, and they don't get this does not get fixed for a while. There's a lot of these in your house things have some matches that are uh, that start off and are like mm, they're a little bit iffy. Uh, yeah, but what I was expecting and what we got, Matt. I agree. I agree. I I won't argue with that. It, it does work out a little bit better than I would uh, would think. Uh, also, Flash Funk's Funkettes they don't stick around for the match. They just dance with them and then they leave them alone, which is interesting. A curious thing. Um, Jr. He starts. He lays out the rules for the Armageddon Rules match later on, uh, which um, well, it's essentially a Texas Death Match. Uh, we can talk more about that when we get closer to it. But uh, Jr. said one thing on Raw. He described. He said there was no submissions, uh, which is not true because like later on they literally say the submissions. But that's the first time that we hear that um, the Armageddon Rules match might have some rules to it, which is good. Uh, so we get this. We have this moment here where Leaf hits what I would describe as kind of an awkward front power bomb, which is, I think is what uh, Jr. calls it. It's kind of a reverse power yes. bomb. Essentially. Flash Funk is doing like a head scissors where he's got his he's got his legs around Alistair's neck and he's facing the ground, and Alistair like sits down and drops him, and so he lands face first, which is kind of cool. I don't know what I call it a front. I think every power bomb is a front power bomb, and I understand they have to make mix of these things up in the moment, but right. You don't really if you power on guy backwards, it's an electric chair drop. I would argue. Right, um, but his orient the 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 person being power bombs orientation is different. They are facing the front, and they fall on their front. That is absolutely yes. true. Yes. Uh, like electric chair drop is you're going the other way, but they're staying in the same position. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you could, this, yeah, I, I don't know if you'll convince me fully, but I do think there are, there is some merit to what you were saying. That's right. So Wait. so whatever this is, it's different than a power bomb, and it's different than an electric chair drop. Yeah. Uh, and this is uh, shortly after this is when JR says, look, you can't call Leaf a geek anymore. Uh, and then Leaf hits a flipping senton on, onto Flash on the outside. He's like, oh, wow, flipping senton. It was also kind of like, were people calling him a geek? Why are you telling me this? This makes me think he's a geek when you say he's not a geek. Me, th- me thinks the lady doth protest too much in this <laughs> scenario. You can't, look, all those rumors about how he treats kids, you can't you can't believe them. They're like, what do you mean? What's going on? You've, you've, you've piqued my interest, JR. And this geek you call not a geek. That's I don't right. know if I believe well, it. Was this another backstage thing? Was this what people were calling him back uh... Yeah, exactly. He's just he's just saying that for the boys in the back. He's like, I can't be. Don't be mean to Al Snow anymore. I'm 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 doing talent relations. Relate to this talent better. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, Jared calls is a, a sold out crowd, like you said. And then Leaf would say a lowdown on Flash. And I'm like, okay, like there's no star power here, but this match is pretty decent. And then uh, Leaf goes for a moonsault. He misses it. And then after that, uh, Flash hits a very high moonsault and only gets two. One of the higher moonsaults you'll see a guy do. He just yes. hits like a ton of air off of it. Um, but then shortly after Flash finishes with a 450 splash. Flash finishes with a 450 splash. That's hard, kind of hard to say. Um, yeah, then we go to the crowd. We see a guy with a mullet is dancing to Flash's music. Uh, and then JR calls Flash's move a shooting star press, which it is not. Right, okay. Of, of all the things yeah. to call a shooting star press, this is not one, but there will be one later on, interestingly. Uh, so yeah, this this surprised you, Daniel. You were expecting, I don't know, what, what were you expecting, but what did you get? Uh, yeah, I, I was just expecting a five-minute, like, Irish whip, couple leapfrogs. Right. Into a pin, you know, like, or a roll-up or something. Sure. I wasn't expecting anything too much, but, like, it felt like they were going off script a little bit. Like, it felt like they were like, let's do our main event indie show. Like, yeah, if we're main eventing the indies, this is what we're doing. And uh, it was really cool because they did some, like... They started doing some stuff where, like, Al Snow just gets, like, no, like, Al Snow suplexes Flash Funk out of the ring. Yes. 
like just clearly out of the ring. Yeah. Like over the over the top rope and onto the floor. And it's like, okay. And then he like leaps out of the like they're really kind of just sort of throwing caution to the wind and it's really refreshing. Yeah. They do this like chaining roll up uh pin sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh that's like it's not executed perfectly, but it's like enough of a like E for effort that it got me excited. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It was like cool that they like went for it. And like so we were just seeing stuff that felt sort of um off of the pattern of a WWE match at this time. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. It's it is funny, you know, like I'm distracted by Jerry calling Leaf isn't a geek. And then he he like I said, he hits a flipping senton outside the ring. And I'm like, in my mind, I don't think of flipping sentons as being a nineteen ninety-six thing. Also funny because it happens more than once on this show. Right. Uh, but but it's like it's interesting how they're changing that. It's, you're like, oh man, I love the high flying action in, in today's WWF or WWE now, obviously. Um, but it's like, I mean, if you if I showed you this card now, you'd be like, oh okay, <laughs> like you wouldn't think that much of it. Like a guy you don't think would do a shooting star press later does one. Uh, yes. There's all sorts of other action. I mean, it's Mark Miro does a bunch of flippy shit. Yeah, exactly. Which is not yeah. If that chant existed, then it would have been happening. That's right. I mean, he, I mean, he is wild though. He's a wild that's man. Right. So it makes sense he would do that sort of thing. Wow. Ra- <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm trying to do this as much as I can here. Uh, so we get a video promo for the 1997 Royal Rumble, which uh, will, we're told will be available March 11th on Coliseum Video, which is a good indicator that this show is coming from the Coliseum Video tape of this show. And this is something you can kind of see when you're watching stuff on Peacock or on the WWE Network in parts of the world, oh, like the United okay. States. Where you can see things like this, where you're like, okay, they grabbed that from a Coliseum video, uh, or, oh, they grabbed that from when they did WWE 24-7, where it would be a show, they would, they would like, blur the WWF logos. Sometimes they would even um, uh, beep out WWF if people said it. You can find that there. I don't know if they've replaced that sort of stuff over the years where it doesn't matter okay. anymore, but uh, there are different visions, uh, ver- versions of that. I think there's also versions of um, some WCW stuff. But it's also interesting because... There's also shows that were very much on Coliseum Video, like Survivor Series 1987, which they do not use that because that video cut that show down, uh, which we talked about. I don't know if it was last week or the week before or earlier than that. But, uh, yeah, because that show, they have Survivor Series eliminations, and some of them get cut. You don't even see what happens, which is a strange thing. But that's just a, a curious thing at this time. We grew up in a, we, we are currently in a time where WWE will have a show, a pay-per-view. Um, if you miss it, you can come back, like, you know, three hours later. You can put the show on. It's not cut. They got some stuff later on sometimes, but like you just see this, it, it, it shows up on the network or on Peacock. You watch it, you can, you can just come back to it. There's no in between. You, you can watch it immediately. Watch it immediately. Two times in a row. Uh, it rules. It's really, guys, it's really so good. Also, I really don't know what I would do with my life if I was as into wrestling as I was when I was like 14 or 15 and I had access to the network. I oh, would never yeah. stop. I would probably be in wrestling in some way now. I'd be like running my own promotions because I'd be like, I would just be so, I would just be sucking it up. Or I'd be like, uh, probably like everybody else, and just be some Japanese wrestling geek. I'd be like, I like um, Tetsuya Naito more. Uh, no offense if that's your thing. No offense if that's your thing. I just think that you've gotten to a point in wrestling that I never got to. Um, which is not actually true. Because if I could actually watch all of that Japanese stuff, I would. And I sometimes seek it out. So it's fine. I literally have, here. I'll reveal this before I move on. On my phone right now, I have a tab open. That is Hulk Hogan versus Stan Hansen from the WWF All Japan New Japan Tour from 1990. Because apparently that's one of uh, Hulk Hogan's best matches. I didn't know that. Okay. But that's the thing. And you can find that on there. It is not on the network, so you have to go to your uh, your different sites that have, like, I don't know, they're based in France. And you're like, is this legal? 
Am I if I navigate one video over, will it be porn? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's true of almost everywhere on the don't, internet. So. Don't find out, Matt. <laughs> I, I won't. <laughs> Only if Stan Hansen is in it. Uh, next up, <laughs> we have Diesel and Razor Ramon. That is to say, no, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> boo. Boo. Daniel is a Diesel Razor truther. Love, love, love how like. For all the show, Jr. is a face commentator, except for yes. this one piece. He's like this weird heel supporter of Pink Diesel and Razor. I don't understand what's going on. He is a snarky guy who is almost, almost usually a pretty overt heel. Although I think they are trying to bring him back now, but because he helped debut Fake Diesel and Fake Razor, he's still very much the thing. And the first every time they come out, before you even hear the crowd reaction, Jr. is already saying. Oh, are they booing these guys like he's always <laughs> so frustrated by it um but these guys these guys are going up for the wwf tag team championship against owen hart and the british bulldog uh who are coming down to the ring by uh by clarence mason um jr sorry not jr kevin kelly he interviews the champions backstage he says they're distracted by bulldog's interest in taking down stone cold steve austin which is uh because they've they've tangled in recent weeks stone cold tried to take out brett brett big uh, bulldog got involved in that, then he became a target for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, they're like, yeah, you're distracted by him. And it's, it kind of seems like they are because <laughs> Bulldog's like, look, uh, I, I'm not distracted by him, but I want to talk about him. And then they talk about superstars, which they say is this morning because it aired Sunday mornings at this time. Oh, yes. Um, but they're like, look, you were literally distracted because you wanted to hit Austin with a chair. Um, but then these two guys that you're facing, like, they came down and attacked you when you weren't even expecting it. And he's like, uh, uh, anyway, so... Always funny to be like, you're distracted. They're like, no, no, I'm not. It's like, you see okay. um, And this, of course, you know, this match is underway. And um, a very normal normal thing happens that you totally expect, which is two guys from AAA wander down, Cibernetico and Piroth. This like, is what I expect. So here's, uh, why, why are there two lucha wrestlers who, who I maybe have heard of? I mean, Cibernetico is not, or at least is one of these guys that you're kind of like, oh, I remember that guy. Um, and it's because they're going to be at Royal Rumble in January. And this is when... WWF is looking at their show they have in San Antonio, and they're like, look, if we want to fill this place with 70,000 people, we need to get some luchadors in here. Uh, and to do that, we had to justify them by them showing up earlier. And so they I, I, they would have to have paid to have Cibernetico and Piroth show up in West Palm Beach, Florida, to wander out in their shirts, to rip their shirts off, keep their masks on, and kind of just be like, hey, we exist. And the well, fans are the like, thing what? that's really weird about this whole segment is that yeah. The, the camera like stays off of them. Yep, it shows them once at the beginning, and then the, the, it just the, the commentators mention it, but then they don't really point out. They we're not seeing angles where we see the ring and them. They don't wander off. They don't really do anything. But yeah, they're not. They're mostly not visible after being. But like, it's weird because the commentators like like Vin, Vince is trying to bring attention to them, so it's like, yes. oh, what are they doing? What's happening here? What? Are they? And they're doing all this commotion, but then the camera just stays fixed on the ring action, and so it's this really weird situation where it's yeah. like well we did you didn't get out of that what you wanted <laughs> it's almost kayfabe where it's almost like the, the camera like almost the camera operator is like they're not supposed to be here so let's focus on the ring <laughs> and you're like yeah, well the rest are gonna let's point this out um yeah we see here um british bulldog is wrestling in in in, in tights that are kind of the brief cut kind of like just like the the speedo look um he's also got knee pads down by his boots and he has what i have dubbed in the past hot dog legs because uh, his legs just look like they're hot dogs. Like they are, uh, they're smooth and they look like they are either uh, made in the microwave or in the grill or something like that. They're plumped up. They have the right color. 
Um, and this is not this against British Bulldog. It's just that his legs resemble hot dogs. He has hot dog legs. And next time you watch a match where he has the short tights and his his his, his pants around his ankles, <laughs> that would be if he's in the bathroom. Uh, no, but if, and he's got his knee pads around his. So, uh, so his this is the reason legs. why he wore uh, full length tights for so long because he didn't want to be hot dog like that. Yeah, he didn't want he didn't want he didn't want Matt with his dumb brain from when he's I don't know if it was a kid. I think I just discovered that now. And the question, of course, is, was I watching a British Bulldog match and I saw his legs and thought they looked like hot dogs? Or did I come across two hot dogs and think, oh, my gosh, it looks just like the British Bulldog's legs? <laughs> I'm hoping it was, sure. it was the second. I'm hoping it was the second. I hope so, too. I don't want to – that's one of those things. I don't even go back – I don't even want to go back in my memories. If that's, But it could, could maybe not be that. I don't want to find that out. Um, so, yeah, the AAA's guys come out. They interrupt. But then we have another interruption. Because Stone Cold Steve Austin walks down to the ring. And as soon as Bulldog sees him, he slides out of the ring to attack him. Bulldog gets pulled off of Austin and this because instantly a pile of WWF officials just show up as if they're just like backstage ready to go. Like they just, they just, like like that. They are in they're in position to rip the guys off. And and turquoise shirted security guards. Yes. Yes. Uh we're gonna see more of the turquoise security guys later on, and it is okay. weird. Uh yeah, they push Austin to the back. So he comes out and then he's just immediately like taken away, uh, like so quickly. The way your your immune system, you hope, is getting rid of problems for you and you're sick. These guys are just absolutely just they are teleporting Austin out of there. Uh, yeah, so this is the part where Owen is, uh, he's getting beat up, but he gets an insecurity on Diesel, and he tags in Bulldog, and he runs wild against the fake wrestlers there. Uh, Vince more or less admits this is a heatless heel versus heel match. Like, no one's really reacting to bad guy versus bad guy here. He says, right. these fans don't care who wins in terms of favorites. You're like, okay. Because <laughs> you're saying your fans are sitting on their hands because you booked the, you did a dumb thing and booked this match this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I found the crowd really noncommittal. The majority. It was only at the end of this pay per view where they really start to come out. They do come um, alive in event for sure. But uh, up uh, up until then, it's pretty like nothing. Like Mark Miro's trying to get some good babyface heat, and nothing's happening. And not heat, but like anyway. It's well, weird. I mean, because we, we start off with Leaf Cassidy versus Flash Funk, and then we go into a heel versus heel match. Like we're not exactly lighting the crowd on fire. We're not like, inspiring right. That's right. them. That's right. The the one thing I will say though is that again, my memory of fake. Diesel and Fake Razor was like, these guys are stupid. I don't want to be watching this. These guys suck. But like actually watching their in-wing work, like this is a this is a pretty decent match. Like these are, these are guys that are like put putting in the effort. Like they're not slouches. Like Fake Razor's a little bit like there's a difference. But I mean, Kane, he shows up, man. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like Fake Razor almost looks too much like Razor, and so he feels more like uh, value brand razor that way right. because he doesn't look different enough because he looks like if you changed razor Ramon 10 percent and kind of messed up his face a little bit it doesn't yeah. sit it, it, i don't know it just, your brain doesn't want to accept it as much uh but i suppose that's true but here's um, the thing that i was surprised by yeah and, and this is more just diesel right is arguably if not objectively fake diesel is the better wrestler than kevin nash Fake Diesel is a better wrestler than Kevin Nash. That is debatable. I think you're mean like like in a technical sense, like he's better technically wrestling than Diesel is. Yeah, Maybe. that's interesting. I mean, then then this question of like, does it really make sense to divide a wrestler up by being a technical wrestler and or being in you know, the visual or um? I don't say Kevin Nash also made a good point of like making a lot of use out of not a lot of juice sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you'd be called lazy. Uh, which could be argued in some extent, but then also Lazy paid for a pretty nice house in Detroit for him, so whatever. Well, well, okay, so yeah, like I'm not, I, I, I am not contesting 
Kevin Nash's career, right? He made sure. great decisions and had great ring presence, did great things. Yeah. But I'm just saying, when fake Diesel uh, is sort of exciting me more than regular Diesel normally does, I was surprised right. by that. Sure. Sure. I think that's fair. Like, like his swiftness. You know, he, he, yeah. he got some pick up and go. He does. He, he really does, doesn't he? Um, yeah, we, we, we see actually Owen Hart ends up in fake Diesel's arms here. Uh, and so he's being held by the Diesel. The loving embrace. I hope. The loving embrace. Kind of held sideways like a slam. But then Bulldog drop kicks both of them and it sends them over the top rope to the floor. I kind of like that because it's like we take yes. out that equation. There they are together. And then Bulldog goes for a power slam on Razor, but he gets out of it. And so Razor goes for Razor's edge. But then Owen comes in. He hits Razor with a spinning heel kick, allowing Bulldog to get a jackknife cover. And he gets the one, the two, and the three. And so Owen and Bulldog, they retain their titles uh, in a very unsurprising way. Uh, but then immediately after the match, once again, Stone Cold Steve Austin runs down to the ring and he chop blocks Bulldog. He, he knocks him down by the knee when he's not ready. And then he kicks him in the knee. And we see Austin smiling and leaving. But Bulldog is quite hurt. He actually needs Owen and a ref to help him pull him back. And um, one of the things I'm noticing here is that Owen is becoming a little bit more anti-Stone Cold here. Uh, I think a couple weeks ago when, when Stone Cold was ready to hurt Brett... Owen was like all about it and Bulldog didn't like it. But Owen is, you know, he's seeing, he's taking Bulldog's side of this feud, which is good. Uh, Well, no, I thought it was the other way around. I thought it was Bulldog that was saying, no, don't. No, don't to who? No, no, no. Oh, yes, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, you you get it. You get it. Um, it. So Owen is kind of getting in here. Uh, Oh, sorry. You misunderstood what I meant because you are understanding. You you are remembering the scenario correctly where Bulldog is opposing Brett beating Hurt. And Owen is like, ah, it's fine. And then. By Bulldog getting into the sights of Stone Cold, then Owen has to turn on Stone Cold there. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we go right from that, this kind of this this energy here in the tag program with Stone Cold Steve Austin. We see the Nation of Domination are in the AOL area. And uh, this is a time where you could chat with the WF stars, superstars on AOL, uh, America Online. And they essentially we've got we get three black gentlemen with glasses typing for the Nation of Domination on uh, thick gray plastic laptops. Um, I believe it's just these are probably just like actors they brought in. I say actors very loosely. Just like who are some yeah, who are some nice African American gentlemen in Florida who can uh, do this sort of thing? And uh, yes, yeah, so the Nation of Domination just stands behind these guys, the computers. They tell them what to say ostensibly, but Farouk is saying almost nothing. And the the two white guys in Nation of Domination are like they're like getting in there, and being like, hey, they write this sort of thing. But we spend forever on these guys. <laughs> it's so long being like they're typing. Like, oh, you better go on aol.com and search WWF or something like that. Um, now, one of the reasons we're seeing them is because we're going to go back to the ring. And in the ring, we have Vince McMahon, who happily presents to us Ahmed Johnson. And Ahmed Johnson comes out to the ring because the pay-per-view, well, you know what? We can do a promo. Why not? Let's treat it like a big episode of TV and That's have right. a promo. That's right. weird to think about. But yes, they do that here. Uh, and Ahmed comes out in a blue tracksuit and a black fanny pack. And he's ready to be interviewed by Vince. And uh, he gets to face Farouk at the Royal Rumble in January. So this show kind of being an advertisement for a rumble, very literally an advertisement here. They're just saying, buy that show. You're at this show. You may have come to it in person. You may have bought it now, but really you should buy the one next month. And, uh, Ahmed says, you know, I'm glad I'm going to face Farouk at Royal Rumble because, you know, because of my injury, I lost my house, my car and my girlfriend. And I was like, really? That's what happened to you. <laughs> That's right. Did you lose? Like, are you are you not getting paid? Because you should talk to the owner of the WWF in that case. I wish we knew who you, it was. You've been on you've been on television. Yes. A lot. You you had a you had a a, a wooden a stick for a while there. You should definitely be paid for your appearances. At least Ahmed, what's going on? Um, 
Yeah, or or is he just kind of conveniently being like, like did something happen to his car? Was his girlfriend mad for other reasons? He's just trying to he's like trying to justify it all to himself. He's like, yeah, my girlfriend left because of this. It's like your girlfriend left because you weren't paying attention to her, Ahmed. You're yeah, just like yeah, you're yeah. Just, every day you're fixating on the nation of domination and telling them they're going down, uh, and uh, she just got sick of it. And you weren't there for her emotionally. And when she tried to talk to you about her day, she wasn't hearing it. And she says you're not hearing me. And you said yeah, yeah. And then you then you leave, and it's like okay, well he's gonna leave. I mean he'll come back, but we you know we're not getting along. And anyway, I bet she cut you off. So <laughs> let's look into the uh, Ahmed's life here. Uh, Vince asks about Ahmed Johnson's kidney. Um, cause you know, I'm a, like, this is, I don't know if it's, I think it's real where he's had like kidney issues and stuff like that, like injuries. Um, and Ahmed says something and I'm going to paraphrase it here. Essentially. He's like, my life ended a long time ago, but now I live for the fans, which is a pretty intense thing to say. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I'm kind of dead, but you guys, I'm kind of alive for you. Like, really? Are you a, is Ahmed our savior? Are we, should we be worshiping <laughs> him? He's, he's giving his whole life to us. Well, I guess so. Let's see. Um, but then the Nation of Domination and Farouk come out of the crowd, and they address Ahmed from a balcony. And Which is Farouk's the best place for the Nation to address somebody. This it's great. It looks now. cool. It looks great. He- he- heavenly proclamations. That's it. And so Farouk says, uh, you know, Ahmed, you're the reason that our people are behind 50 years. He says, it's guys like Ahmed right after Rednecks. He doesn't really expound on what he means by that. I mean, I, I think because I think later on this, they put they phrase it a little bit more overtly, but they're kind of being like, look at this. Look at this black man who is kind of cooperating with these white guys to, I don't think he's being taken advantage of, or he's not rising up to the way he should be, um, which is kind of their MO. That's what they think. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's weird to try and parse out what the nation's sort of like race theory is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard. Cause if that's the problem, then what's with the white guys in their stable, you know? So what? it's like, I, I'm trying to figure it out. What's with the white guys and what's, you're going to add other white guys later on. <laughs> like, there's some other there's other dudes around, but there, I mean, that's just essentially cover so they can uh, get away with that, I suppose I would say. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, Ahmed says that Farouk is going down and leads the crowd to say, you're going down, you're going down. And we go from there. Um, that feud, that feud is just the, like it's never never really goes anywhere. It's just like they don't like each other. They fight. They almost fight. There's no, it's not evolving. It's not doing anything else. Just Ahmed versus Farouk. It is like it the lasts most, forever. It lasts. It lasts forever. Absolutely. <laughs> And that's and that's one that's one thing where we're not chanting fight forever. Right. This fight is forever. Fight, fight, fight for never. <laughs> Please. We get a video package for Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley against Mark Merrow. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, he thinks he's better than everyone. Uh, Merrow stole Sable from him. Stole's in quotes, air, fo- air, air quotes, folks. So, Can't so, see- so I I didn't realize that this was Sable's origin story. Mm-hmm. Big I, time. Or, or I forgot. Right. Like, yeah. It's it's pretty brilliant. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm saying that triple you can't steal a woman. Women are people. This is not news to you. But we but it's the kind of thing, oh, he stole his girlfriend. I mean, I'm I'm confident, I am sure that in in junior high or high school, I said so and so stole that guy's girlfriend. Uh and I real, sure. I realize now that's problematic and from here to apologize for that. Uh <laughs> yeah, wrong. Barack Obama voice. <laughs> yeah, it's like my official uh my official speech voice. I'm going to do that. That's your official apology. Yeah. Uh, wait, who's at the door? Oh, Farouk is here. Farouk, I'm not doing anything problematic. I, I promise. I'm just doing <laughs> it's Barack Obama. Um, yeah, Triple H. Uh, Damn! <laughs> Helmsley. There we go. Uh, he, he beat Mark Merrow for the Intercontinental title after working with Mr. Perfect to trick Merrow into trusting him. Kind of funny to bring in Mr. Perfect because Mr. Perfect is no longer with the company. He was okay. here for such a brief time. He got involved. He went from there. Uh, 
Okay, we we got our next match here. Wild Man Mark Merrill against Hunter Hersamsey for the Intercontinental Championship here. Uh, and uh, you can kind of see, you know, JR mentions at one point, like, Merrill's kind of high-flying, kind of like Flash Funk. And you can hear you can hear WWF trying to compete with the cruiserweight division in WCW. This is okay. this is the time. The fun thing in 1976, WWF, they're on their heels. So they are your yes. counter program. They try to convince you, hey, actually, this is just as good. They also say things like our guys aren't old and gray, which is their that's their, right. They're using token and things like that. And so they're like, oh, fifty years old and need a hip replacement. Exactly. And they're just like, oh, go cool. We're well, cool and high flying too. Yeah, because these guys, it's awesome. Um, Triple H comes out with his tricky when you only have one high flyer in a match, you know, you kind of need two to kind of make it work. But well, Triple H, he does that, he does the 450 splash to the outside at one point. No, how great would that be? I want to see what Triple H (laughs) looks like. Um, high flying move is that'd be interesting. I should, you know, I I would love to sit there. It's it's, it's when he gets catapulted into turnbuckles. That's that's honestly, high flying maneuver. You're probably right. I want to ask Triple H, like, what is the most high flying? Did you ever try a moonsault when you're like, did you ever try a moonsault? Yeah, 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 yeah. He'd be like, no, he, he, he doesn't, he does, no, no, I have to book eight hours of TV right now. Excuse me. Yeah, that's true. Sorry. Thank you. You're doing good. I'm, I appreciate it. <laughs> he's, he's doing very good. Book forever. <laughs> book forever. Oh my gosh. That'd be so obnoxious to chat at a Triple H, but I wouldn't be shocked if somebody did. That's right. Oh my God. Uh, he does have the turnbuckle flip out of the ring thing. That, that's pretty, uh, he does pretty. it well. He does it well. So, yeah, but in this match was the first time I ever realized that this is how kind of moves work. Is that, like, it's not that wrestlers like to slingshot people into turnbuckles. It's that Triple H likes to be slingshot into turnbuckles. So it's only him that this happens to. He has to go around before every match and be like, okay, so to work this, you just sort of, like, grab my legs and fall back and then I'll do the rest. Yeah. Uh, you're also going to, uh, I'm going to try to pedigree right by the ropes. That never works. You're going to flip me over the top there. Uh, yeah. If I'm Ric Flair at some point, I'm going to go to the top rope. I'm not, I have no move. You have to come over and toss me off. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is essential. <laughs> so I love, I love like the insight into those like backstage conversations. Like there, there was one moment, there was a Matt Riddle documentary uh, for oh, yeah. NXT and uh, it showed him talking to uh, one of the commentaries. So not Myron, uh, not, not Myron. <laughs> that's not his name. <laughs> Uh, but the other guy, uh, the sort of Irish speaking guy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. But he was talking yeah. to him and he was like, like running through his signature moves and what they're called. He's like, yeah, so I do a senton. That's called a broton. Uh, I do certain things with floating bro and like going through. I was like, right. Everyone would have to do that. Like every time they're with someone new or like do something, they'd have to like explain all this stuff. And yeah. Well, why don't you go on an indie That's sh- a side tangent. You go, you go to an indie show, you have to kind of be like, here's all my spots, I do this, I do this, I do this. Um, Shawn Michaels had to be like, at some point in the match, you are gonna, um, you have to grab my tights and make me moon everybody. Um, that's, right, that's, right. that's a Ric Flair spot. Weird, weirdly, there's like two wrestlers, the, the, uh, two ass wrestlers, um, strangely, and weird, neither one is the ass man. How curious is that? <laughs> they are, but they won't sing it. Uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of um, referee drama in here where Triple H tries to grab a chair to get disqualified, but the referee, who is Earl Hebner, who I'm not a big fan of, uh, Come on! No, he sucks. He, even here, uh, there's a spot. There's a spot. This is 100 like exactly like what you're describing, Daniel. Uh, where it's where Triple H pushes Earl Hebner, and then Earl Hebner pushes him back, and he like, oh, he backs up. He's all scared of the referee, uh, and he and he loves that cower to the referee spot. He loves that, to that, do it. That, that's a that's a classic. Yeah, that's classic Earl Hebner too. Earl Hebner plays that role really well, I think. 
You push him, you point to your chest, you point to the symbol on your chest saying, I'm a re- I'm an official here, sir. That's right, that's right. I'm just saying, man, like you 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 take Charles Robinson all you want, but like I'm I'm taking Earl Hebner. You you take Wow. If we, if we were to do, your... You know, okay, Daniel, real quick, we're gonna spend thirty seconds. We're gonna do a referee draft starting right now. Um okay. you get first pick. Take your first pick. Let's get pick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just use top of mind. I'm gonna say Charles Robinson. Why not? No, you, you lose. You already lose. This. Keep going. This, Keep, this going. Keep going. Keep uh, going. Earl, I'm taking Earl. L- huge loss. Huge owl. Uh, I guess um uh, the the Jess right from WWE right now. I'll take her. No, no. Yeah, I was yeah. No. Take her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will take. I should take her over Earl for sure. Yeah. Okay, I'll take the black lady. She's great too. She is great, and I didn't know her name, and I might have drafted her next if I had the chance. Um, okay, my next pick is um, pre-QAnon, uh, <laughs> the guy from NXT, who has since gone, like, full QAnon and got oh, left the company. And, yeah, he didn't want to give... There's all sorts of vaccination stuff, which is what... Like, in the middle of COVID, it was, like, a whole thing, but hey, he's that, That's the guy who was the hardcore wrestler, right? Yes, yes. He was, like, the yeah, deathmatch okay. wrestler, and yeah, then yeah, he just yeah, looks yeah. like I, the Italian I, I, guy. I'm going to draft with him next, too. Yeah, this is, yeah. this is tight, man. This is tight. It is tight. Um, pretty long. Was it your turn? Ah, Teddy Long's good. Teddy Long is good. Um, uh, 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 Mark Curtis from WCW. There we go. Okay, nice. There we go. And then we'll cut it off there. We were, uh, folks, I'd love Shane, to know. Shane, 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 Shane. Take him, whatever. A uh, grill monster <laughs> son. Uh, we, we keep going. This is good. This is this is a good podcast all on its own. Um, anyway, back to, back to this match in particular here. Um, Mero, Mark Mero, he hits a second row perk and Rana, and he signals for the wild thing, which is his shooting star press. Uh, but Triple H pushes the ref into the ropes, uh, which crotches Mark Marrow, and he drops him to the mat. I feel like after all that stuff, if you push the referee, especially if it affects your opponent, I think that's a disqualification. I know it's if you I don't, think so too. If you don't the do anything, if you don't do anything, you push the referee, you might be able to get away with being like, ah, he didn't like unintentional. But if you do all of that, and the referee even does it, if he pushes you and he points to his chest as I'm an official, you can't push him again and be and the referee would be like, I'm warning you. It's like no, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is where uh, Mero counters a pedigree and slingshots Triple H into the post, and then he gets a Mero salt for two, where he does like a, he jumps and turns around to do his moon salt first, which is cool. Uh, and then we have a ref bump. Mark Mero accidentally closed Ryan's the ref, takes him out. Triple H grabs the Intercontinental Championship belt outside the ring. He tries to hit Mark Mero with it, but he dodges. He reverses a back suplex and he rolls up Triple H for a slow two count. Uh, and then Mark Mero hits his own flipping sense onto the outside. And then, um, kind of randomly here, uh, we have Goldust. And apparently Triple H said something to Marlena, who is Goldust's lady. Uh, yeah. He said something to her on TV. We don't know what it is. If it was on this podcast, I don't remember it very well at all. But that is supposed to be the, the uh, uh, if it's an incoming feud or one that finished up. Not 100% sure. We will find out. But Goldust yeah, is- I, w- I, w- I want to see this triple threat match. I think this is Interesting. Great. This is the time where they wouldn't really do a lot of triple threat matches, even though now it's probably the most obvious thing in the world. Like it almost looks like the ending is building to that because um, Goldust grabs the Intercontinental Championship belt. He tries to hit Triple H with it. He misses and hits Mark Marrow. Then hits Triple H anyway and leaves. Um, the referee then counts for a count out. Mark Marrow makes it back into the ring before ten, so he wins by count out. So Triple yeah, H. This just was su- such a deflation finish. Like okay, well let's this... okay. Goldust what Goldust hits Mark Marrow with the belt. Didn't mean to. It doesn't seem to feel any remorse for it at all. doesn't really care because he's just kind of no. like, my goal is to hit Triple H. If I hit somebody else, I don't give a crap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it is like, yeah, the, the count out thing is so like, well, Mar- he won at least, right? And you're like, no. I think almost yeah. double count out would have been better. Yes, yes. Well, the, and the, the, what was weird here, so this is where I noticed that the crowd just wasn't into things because like 
At this point, I can't believe why, Daniel. Where they just had a double count out here almost. They had uh, no, 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 no. Sorry, just, they had flash fun. Like before the, so before Goldust yeah. comes out, yeah, yeah. there's some like back and forth. Like Triple H gets the belt. Like he's not getting much of a reaction. Mark Miro counters the attack with the championship belt, and nobody really cheers for that. And then the biggest pop is for Goldust. Yeah. Which is all very strange. So it's like, it, it's just weird that Mark Miro is flat. Because I remember. As a kid, being like Mark Miro being a huge draw for me, I thought that he was the cat's meow. Absolutely. Uh, Wait well, to go with his theme. His theme music, absolutely. <laughs> That's um, right. Yep. I think I think I didn't know a lot of guys who right right off the bat they're like Mark Miro, cool. I liked him. He had good attitude, yeah. good look. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder where where it went, went wrong with him. We'd, we'd have to start a show earlier. Um, That's right. Yeah. Now I want to do a podcast with Mark Miro. Hmm. Interesting. We'll see how that works. <laughs> <laughs> he might, he, that might be that might not be fun. I don't know. I don't know the man, so I can say. Um, <laughs> Howard Finkel announces like, ah, Triple H essentially retains his title, and then Goldust comes out again and attacks Triple H. Like, okay, uh, sure. Yeah. I don't, this is happening it, again. It's really, it's really choppy. It's weird, but uh, yeah. but again, I I I welcome Goldust appearances. I I'm a big I'm a big fan, so I'm like I'm into it. Well, Daniel, I'll tell you this much. If you were a fan in the arena, this would not be the last time you'd see Goldust at this show. Hey. And I'm gonna drop that, that hint for later. Doc Hendricks. Doc Hendricks is in the back with Psycho Sid. Handsome Doc Hendricks. He's there. He's there. But who? But next to him is a more handsome guy, Psycho Sid, wearing a uh, a shorts and a backwards white baseball cap. Love it. Love Looking it. like your it friend's like hot daddy. dad. Yeah. <laughs> Sid bringing Sid bringing major dilf energy. To your friend's dads? Hmm? What's that? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so we, we see a, uh, we essentially see some footage here. This is it's funny. It's like I'm in the back with a guy, and we're just, we're gonna watch a video together, and you do commentary on it. Uh, and apparently this morning on Superstars, Sid is outside the arena being interviewed. It's a bright summer day or, or not summer day. It's December, but it is Florida. So everything's a summer day then. Uh, and he gets jumped by Shawn Michaels outside Superstars. And then Bret Hart comes. He also shows up. He wants he starts beating up with Shawn Michaels as well. But Bret will take every opportunity to beat up Shawn Michaels. And then when Bret has his back turned, when he's attacking Shawn Michaels, Sid attacks Bret from behind. Well, they're facing each other tonight for the WWF Championship. Makes all the sense in the world. Um, but we see the guys get pulled apart by WWF officials. I like this because we get to see some guys in weird kind of street gear. Or Mike Kyoto is wearing like a Mike Kyoto who never won yes. the ref draft. That's right. Respect. He's got this weird pinstripe thing. And Vince McMahon is also there. Wearing like yeah. a blue button up shirt too. And he's looking like looking like the WWF uh, owner, like he is. Um, so this is a weird thing. And so, uh, so I couldn't parse out this footage, Matt. Like I was getting quite confused. Hard. Yeah, because so it's. I, I, because yeah. at the beginning of the night, they talk about Brett kind of being off his rocker. Like they're like, Brett is just not himself today. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, sure. Why? And then we see this footage, and then it's like, wait, why is Brett involved? Like, why did this happen? And like, I'm like, is this work? Is this shoot? Is this work shoot? Like, what? Like, they what should have shown the whole segment. Is what they should have done because otherwise, what what you see is it's Sid who most of his back turned as he's watching a lot of guys kind of fight. And what it essentially is, you're seeing the end of like Sean and Brett being beaten up, and then you see Sid push Brett. But uh, it's and especially because they're all in street gear, so nobody's wearing like we don't have a referees wearing referee gear, so you can't pick out Sean. Sean and Brett look, you know, they're just guys. There's guys who are 20 feet away with long hair. That's not that easy to pick out, especially with 90s uh, standard definition cameras. So um, they're struggling. Now what, <laughs> this this gives Sid an opportunity to say, look, I'm gonna beat Brett because Sean beat Brett, and then um, I beat Sean. That's like, cool. Transitive property. I get it. That makes sense. We've <laughs> all been there. And then Sid finishes by just barely whispering that he is the master. 
and ruler of the world. Which is what he would do. He would whisper very intensely, and that's what he just did this day. Sid, of course, missed his boat. He could have been an ASMR guy on YouTube. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's it. Maybe someone should let him know. The ship hasn't sailed, man. Could, it's true. We still have Sid with me. I don't know what the S and ASMR, ASMR stands for, but it should be Psycho or Sid. Uh, next okay. up, Daniel. We've got The Executioner against The Undertaker in the yeah. Armageddon Rules match. Yeah. It's a match that has the word rules in it. I don't know why it's not called Armageddon match. That's not how other matches are called. It's not a cage cage match rules match. And, and it's like such like a, here's the coolest name for a match ever. And I'm going to explain how it works. And you're going to be so disinterested in what's about to happen. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so also, so The Executioner makes his way down to the ring. They say, Height is unknown, weight is unknown. And I'm like, okay, weight, maybe you can't get him to stand on a scale. But can you, like, have him walk through, like, a convenience store and just do the thing where you see the height by the, like, or even right. just be like, look, Paul Bear is pretty short. Uh, Mike Kyoto is probably, you know, 5'10", maybe. Who knows? The executioner is a little taller than them. I think we can make an educated guess the guy's, like, six feet tall. Is that crazy okay. to say? I think it's not crazy. <laughs> Um, we get a video package. Um, Undertaker was betrayed by Paul Bearer. Uh, he was buried alive by under, by mankind, but also because of the executioner showed up with his shovel. Um, and we have this very. Um, so very, I didn't know that the heel locker room kind of got in on that burial. Like, just at like, the end, they did. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of elbowed each other. Like it's just like Royal Rumble that time when it, the casket match. It's just like that one, that moment there where where Undertaker like ascended to the ceiling. And we're doing the same thing. There's like every now and then the heel locker room just like, all right, we all hit Undertaker, boo. <laughs> right. um, yeah, this video package is very wordy. They talk about the burial as a metamorphosis for Taker. It's a classic Vince thing to do. It's overwritten, and uh, he's putting it in the mouth of an announcer. And it just reminds me of, um, I think this is a, kind of a famous quote from Harrison Ford about George Lucas's Star Wars scripts where he says, look, you can write this stuff, George, but I can't say it. Like, you can't, like, I can't say all this yes. nonsense. And then... And then uh, George Lucas made people say his stuff for three movies in the early 2000s. And, that's right. Uh, it was th- that turned that, out splendidly. That's how it worked out. Interestingly, in this pro- promo package, the executioner is described as Paul Bearer's hired gun. But I'm like, he kind of fits thematically with the rest of Paul Bearer's whole thing, though. It's like he's a funeral director. He's an executioner. Mankind's a crazy guy. He's not a mercenary. He's the ex- it, looks, it looks like they were just going to But, gonna, but like, I mean, he has to be hired because who's going to trust Paul Bearer to be his friend right now? His betrayal. Interesting. Maybe he can only buy friends. And mankind, he's kind of under. He's got mankind's kind of under Paul Bearer's thumb already. We kind of know he's kind of coerced to be there. Interesting. Uh, Just like the idea of the executioner being backstage, being like, "Look, I'll do anything for anybody." All right. I don't know why he's from kind of Brooklyn, but look, I'll do it. I'll take I'll take the Undertaker if you want me to. Uh, If you're from Brooklyn, I realize that accent is not really accurate. I'm kind of doing. I don't know. I'm doing a guy who's seen. I would argue I've seen maybe 50 seconds of The Sopranos, and I'm kind of doing an impression of. That's right. That's I'm, right. Not, I'm not. I didn't misspeak. Five zero seconds, not a full minute. I probably haven't seen a full minute. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we see the rules. Armageddon rules match is no disqualification, no count out. If you get a fall, there's a ten count, and you have to answer quote unquote answer the ten count by standing up. These are the rules of a Texas death match. This is a Texas death match essentially. It's just happening in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's called Armageddon rules. Uh, and yeah, like I said earlier, Jr. So said did early, this match ever like because because like the last man standing match, which is mm-hmm. kind of the derivation of this that I think does work, and some people still argue doesn't work. Yeah, but it's like this is weird to have the climax of the match not be the end. Like uh, yeah, have oh the yeah, pinfall because <laughs> yes. the crowd pops, the crowd mm-hmm. pops for the pin. Yeah, it's and then I mean they it's, have it's, to it's, be like no wait one two. 
Well, the way okay, the way they set this match up, the way they structure this match, if they did it differently, where earlier there's another pinfall and somebody answers a ten count, like I think the way this match is structured is absurd. The Undertaker, there should have been a couple of times where the Undertaker got pinned and then he stood up before ten, and then they or or, or sat up. Something famously the Undertaker does. Yeah. Uh, but instead they have this match, and when we describe all that happens, it doesn't work out great because how they do it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, so yeah. Uh, this is the whole thing. Uh, now, Mankind is mentioned here as not being at ringside. And Jerry Lawler points out that anyone could interfere in this match. There's no disqualification. It's like, that's kind of the, you should kind of always do that. In a no disqualification match, you should go backstage with like a box of donuts and be like, you want a donut? You can have it. You just have to come out and help me beat up the Undertaker later on. It's Armageddon rules. Here's a donut. Help me out. Do the whole thing. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, the Taker dominates the, the executioner to kind of start off here. Executioner doesn't look like it really uh, stands a chance. And I'm just, what did they see in the executioner? Like, if this is, if he's getting huge reactions at house shows and people are super into him, what's the upside? What are they doing with him? Yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. What I have doing. no idea. I think I think he's just a placeholder. I think they wanted to build a bigger stable for Paul Bearer. I think that's essentially sure. what's happening here. Um, and they were just like, oh, you're you're a friend from way back. Like, let's just do yeah. This. You fit, yeah, you fit then, in here. Because I was like, who is this guy? And you were like, oh, that's Terry Gordy. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 which, I, which is funny because I would argue that if you told somebody now he's Terry Gordy, the chance that somebody would actually know who that is, I think has increased. Because now you could like right. – wrestling history is a thing as opposed to like – even in like 2000, you said it was Terry Gordy. I'd be like, um, okay. But I've seen Terry Gordy matches. Okay. People have. I mean if you watch WCW, you definitely saw Terry Gordy matches. That's not weird at all. Yeah, uh, but. Sure. But, but the nice. thing the thing is too is just like the uh i was getting the i was getting the vibe of like i feel like that like he looks familiar and like he looks very much like his the way his lips set uh very kurt angle i was like i was getting like a bigger kurt angle vibe and then and then like as soon as i was thinking that uh vince is like look at that look at that dead stare in the <laughs> It's like they're just zoomed in on the executioner, and he just looks like days. Like he's just like he's like I don't care. Like I'm not, I'm not here. Like I'm just putting it for a paycheck. Honestly, like... of, of all the people who look dazed and like they're only there for a paycheck, I think Shawn Michaels looks more so later on. I would argue. <laughs> <laughs> so Armageddon rules. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, executioner's getting beat up. Paul Bear hits Taker with the urn outside, but he shrugs it off. I mean, it's uh, the summer it hurt him immensely, but here he just can like whatever. Um, and Executioner barely managed to take advantage well, of it. Well, it hurt his feelings in the summer, Matt, remember? It was heartbroken. heartbroken. He's devastated right now. Uh, I mean, he did. this is when he does come back with a tear under his eye, permanently there, uh, which is, uh, must be from oh, what he just did. There you go. So that, that's what happens. It, like, it, that, that, like, tattoo formed from the grief. When he 100%. The grief. You're, yeah, you're, okay. you're exactly right about that. Um, yeah, Taker tries to do Tombstone Pile Drive the Executioner on the exposed concrete of the floor, which is not the only time that the exposed concrete comes up. But then all of a sudden we have Mankind come out, and he does make it an unofficial handicap match, like I said earlier. And Taker fights off both guys. They wander towards the entrance, towards the In Your House set. And Taker throws Mankind through the window of the In Your House set. And uh, Great. Yes, it's just a curtain, but he does throw yes. him. Uh, and then uh, they're behind the house, and then Taker throws Mankind through the door, back out the entrance. Uh, they, Excellent. Uh, he, he pushes the executioner into the wall, and the, the house kind of buckles, and somebody says they are tearing down the house. That's right. And a couple times, because I don't think they thought they were heard, so they just kept on saying it for a while. They're like, it's, guys, it's literal. This is our chance. We can say they're tearing down the house. <laughs> this is thrilling. Uh, <laughs> I got to say that without Mankind, this match would have been awful. Like, the fact that they allowed Mankind to be involved was 
excellent choice. And this, like, this is the feud we want, right? Like, we don't want the executioner. Do do we still want it after like so many matches? <laughs> yeah, I would even argue that even with mankind, I'm still like, eh. well, uh, anyway, a lot happens here. Uh, so the three men, the executioner, the undertaker, and the mankind, they fight their way back down to the <laughs> ring. <laughs> Uh, and then suddenly we get a bunch of dopey security guys in their teal shirts again, and they're here to handle mankind. And then just out of nowhere, JR just says, they've got mace. And you're like, they, they do? And they secure, they like, they stand around, man, they try to circle mankind. And I, I would argue, uh, they kind of do what um, my, my brother Alex has talked about. They kind of stand like putties from Power Rangers. <laughs> they kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. stand near them. They're kind of doing like the, the mind hand things like, oh, what are we going to do with this guy? They're not trying to touch him. Just kind of like standing around him. Right. Uh, and... Uh, the taker takes the executioner and he walks him to the backstage area. So he's not even going to deal with the security and everybody else. And then we see them. They don't just go to the backstage area. They go outside. We see some fans try to follow, follow them outside. We're like, okay, they're going outside. Interesting. Uh, we go back in the ring and the security team has mankind in a straight jacket. Um, a, a, a strange way to detain someone. But it is. Jump to conclusions. It does suggest that if I, if you and I were at, in your house, 12, it's time, exclamation mark. And I got a little too rowdy. There's a chance security guards would be like, we're putting him in a straight jacket. Well, right. Guys, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you shouldn't have access to this. Why do you, why do you have, like, mental hospital stuff here? <laughs> they have five straight jackets. Why, why do you have classic classic mental hospital stuff? Like, something from, like, a horror movie or something. Why is that around here? Yeah, someone's like, uh, uh, <laughs> Bill, we all of the... Uh, we, we're out of straight jackets in Section 5F. Can you just bring a couple straight jackets over here? I got a couple fans here. We've had a, they've been imbibing a bit too much of the alcohol here. <laughs> they have a bit too much to drink. We cut back outside. And we see the executioner is rolling down the concrete hill, and he falls in the water. We don't this see him was, get thrown. This, this was a wild tumble. Like it was like he had to have started like halfway down the hill and just started rolling. Like. <laughs> yeah, um, we we think the Undertaker threw him. We did not see him do it. Um, and the executioner just looks silly. We see him get out of the out of the water, which I don't think we're supposed to see. I think the most yeah, normal thing right. would be yeah, throw him in the water, cut away, cut back. Uh, we follow Undertaker back into the arena. And he just left his yeah, opponent. When he, get, when he gets out of the water, it's hilarious. It's like it's like your dad coming out from like taking just a quick dip on a hot summer day, being like, yeah. "Ooh, hot out here, am I right?" There's a man in his 40s just being like, "Oh, I thought it was refreshing, wasn't it?" Uh, he's in Florida after all. Uh, and yeah, so Undertaker just comes back. His opponent is nowhere to be seen, even though it's no. He could he could win the match there, presumably. He could just beat him outside, but he doesn't. He goes and he just kicks under mankind a little bit, which is kind of rude, I would say. He's in a straight jacket. Uh, and then the executioner comes back to the ring. He is soaking wet. If you thought maybe they filmed that stuff, you know, another day. No, he's, he's his footsteps are wet. Uh, yeah, and he at gets... first I thought he was bone dry. And yes. I was like, why are they saying he's wet? Like, that's dumb. And then we get picked up, just water just drains from his boot. I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. And we see exactly that because the executioner gets uh, tombstoned. He's put upside down. Water comes out of his boot. The Undertaker pins him. Exactly like you said, Daniel, the crowd reacts because he got pinned. Uh, he doesn't move and the referee has to be like, okay, guys, hold on, hold on. One, uh, two, and, and he counts to ten. The executioner does not move. The Undertaker wins. So we have a match where there can be multiple falls and a count to ten, and that never happened. It happens one time at the end. That's right. It could, it could have just been a hardcore match. Yeah. Should have just been a hardcore match. Yeah. No DQ. It, Silly. I mean, it shouldn't have been a match, really. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. If we're, if we're really getting down, we're like, we can cut this even further. <laughs> Undertaker should have shown up and punched somebody in the face, and we can move on from there. That's right. That's right. Um. And once again, and Vince calls this the first ever Armageddon rules match. If I, this is what I want to do. Triple H, if you listen to this podcast, and I know you are, um, book the second ever Armageddon rules match. <laughs> That's right. 
right? I mean, it's you know, put it in December, every December, do an Armageddon rules match. Um, maybe have the Undertaker come to ringside just to be around. Uh, make sure give him a straight jacket to to give on to somebody if they get unruly. We'll go from there. Uh, so yeah, this is silly. Uh, we go to the back, and Doc Hendricks is once again in the back. He's with Sean. He's with Bret, Mike, uh, Bret Hart. Sorry, he's the challenger for the Bret WWF Championship Bret here. Pardon me. Brett Michaels, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and we see footage from superstars when Brett got involved in the tip outside with Shawn Michaels and Psycho Sid. We don't see it very great. Um, now, uh, Doc Hendricks essentially is just like, what happened there? And Brett's like, look, I turned my back on an opponent and I shouldn't have done that. He's owning that as his fault. Oh, interesting. Uh, and then we hear Shawn Michaels' music start playing during Brett's interview. Uh, and, so, Daniel, hold on. I'm, I'm not able to hear you. Can you like lean forward or something? Hello? Hello? It worked again. There you go. Hello? Some connection Sorry. thing. We're, we're good. We're good. Sorry. The thing here that I, I found fascinating was just yeah. like Michael Hayes tries to give Brett an out for being like, so you attacked Sean because he was getting involved with Psycho Sid and you wanted Psycho Sid to be on his A game. And yeah. Brett just like glosses over it. So I'm like, there's like real tension bleeding through here. This is not yeah. fun to watch. This is awkward. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and then when this music hits, yeah, Brett sounds off. He sounds bad, and it, but it's it's also it kind of it fits with character though, where they're doing this, where they're saying Britt is mad about this, uh, and yeah, he says he's sick to death of Shawn Michaels. He's he's when he's done with Sun tonight, he's gonna take care of Shawn, um, which is what he does essentially. Uh, and so yeah, then we see from Bret, Bret Hart being angry about Shawn Michaels' music. We see Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels come out. He's wearing black wraparound sunglasses and a black t-shirt and suit jacket. I think. And I told you this earlier, Daniel. I think I texted you about this. I think he looks There's like he's a... on drugs. Right, right, right. And I, I got that look and vibe. But then once he's talking and stuff, I don't know. But, I mean, he's definitely on drugs. We know that to be true. Like, <laughs> okay, he's well, not, but he's not, like, off his rocker on drugs here. He's not strung all. out. It's true. Uh, but he is, he is, I would argue, a little, at least a little bit drugged out. And so, yeah, we hit our main event, guys. It's Bret Hart versus Psycho Sid. He is the WWF champion. This is for the WWF championship. Um this is, they, they call it the World Wrestling Federation Championship here. They do not call it the WWF World Championship. Probably because they say the whole thing out loud, and they already say world once. I just think about this stuff. I don't know what to tell you. We live in a world with the WWE Championship, the World Heavyweight Championship. Those things are described as different, even though here they're more or less the same thing. Uh, so yeah, Bret, Car- Bret Hart comes out, and Shawn Michaels, he, he mocks him. He says he's the role model of the WWF. Uh, but Bret Hart, but Shawn calls him bitter as well. And um, Daniel, we're going to play a quick game real quick. Uh, this is Sid. Brett and Sean, who's a face, who's a heel, who's a tweener? What's going on? <laughs> you can start with no. the one you're most confident in. Who Who's oh a good guy? Oh, my gosh. Um, Sid? <laughs> <laughs> like, I get, like, like, if I told it's you right so, now, so I can tell you right Yeah. It's like, my my boys were most into Sid. Yeah. He, he, comes, like, out, he, he comes out, like, he's fist loving cool. fans. That's right. Yeah. I would That's argue right. they're all tweeners. Yes. Because yeah. like Brett's close, but Brett is also uh, like like a live wire, and he's a, he's a finger finger well, trigger. Well, he's, here. he's he's undoing the turnbuckle midway through the oh, match. Yeah. Yep. Like yep. I think he breaks Sean, his eyes Sean on the rope too. Being like yeah, Sean's just being like really like crabby and mean. Yeah, he's just <laughs> dickish on the mic. Um, yeah, yeah. Sid might be the most face here, even though he's on her, like he 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 attacked Jose Lothario to win the WWF Championship. He's gonna be a heel and. Uh, at the Royal Rumble, like <clears throat> Sid being a face here is kind of bizarre. Uh, so anyway, it's just a weird thing. <clears throat> they cannot figure this thing out of this pay per view. <clears throat> the whole face heel dynamic. Oh yeah, it's it's weird. Oh my gosh. Uh, so well, yeah, because Sean... Sid Sid gets this cool like light show every time he comes out. 
It says Sid it's above his head in pyro. It's awesome. It's like that's not a heel thing to do. It's true. It, it, absolutely. Now Sean does call Sid an expensive piece of luggage. Yeah, you got to carry him. Which is 100% a backstage thing you say about wrestlers. You wouldn't say that. Yeah. Uh, you could maybe argue if you're in a tag team, you like carry somebody if they're on your same team. But it's definitely like, uh, ah, you got to carry into a good match. Like, don't yeah. say that on pay-per-view, Sean. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, man. Rough, uh, rough rescue. Holy Toledo. So I think the match starts off strong. Literally starts off strong. Because um, Brett attacks Sid with his back turned, which is what Sid did earlier. And I'm like, yeah. man, storytelling. And then it just becomes punching and kicking for like five, ten minutes. Well, not even that. And then, like, Sid just takes a nap for a while. Yeah. While, Bre- like, while, while, like, Bret Hart, like, drops knees and elbows on his back. Yeah, he does that. They brawl back and forth. There's a, a camel clutch here and there. Um, now, it, it's, you know, a little bit interesting here. We have um, Sid. He lifts the padding up at ringside to expose the concrete underneath and tries to powerbomb Brett. It doesn't happen. Uh, but he and dr- Brett drives him into the post. It's like, okay, that's interesting. Um, Brett exposes the turnbuckle. We're moving the pad, like you said, Daniel. Um but then Sid blocks it, and then Brett hits him with a back suplex. He folds him in half. I think uh, Sid even flips all the way over. And then Brett starts to go for his, his his five moves of doom. We get Russian leg sweep, suplex, second rope elbow. Uh, Sid tosses him off the top rope to halt the momentum, though. Uh, and then Shawn Michaels says, and this is I want you to keep track of this. Shawn Michaels says his problem with Sid is what he did to Jose Lothario. And he says, that's it. And it's like, hmm. If a guy beat up my old mentor, I don't think I would just like sit at ringside and watch him. I think I might beat him up. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so keep that in mind. Sean says the only thing that he's mad at Sid about is also Lothario. Keep in mind. Uh, Sid misses a leg drop. And then Brett, he goes for a sharpshooter. And the crowd's like, yeah, we're going to get a sharpshooter. JR's probably thinking, oh, I, I called this earlier. It's going to be good. Uh, Sid kicks him and Brett like flies out of the ring. Yeah. Uh, so no, great no great sales job. <clears throat> and then the match gets good. Pretty much right here. And for the rest of the time, until the show ends, it's like exciting and entertaining. And I was kind of surprised yes. by this. Yes. And this, I would argue and, this. And even, Sean, it, is even, yeah. Sean is even forced to say that Bret Hart's a great worker. And like, yeah. You know, he's like, I hate, I hate yeah. his opinion, but I respect him as a wrestler. Yeah. So here's what happens. Uh, Bret is outside the ring. And then suddenly Stone Cold Steve Austin runs in and he chop blocks Bret outside the ring, dropping him to the floor. It's exactly what, Trump, what Stone Cold Steve Austin did to British Bulldog. Uh, earlier in the night, uh, and and Stone Cold Steve Austin attacking Bret Hart during a match happens six thousand times during this podcast, probably I would argue conservatively. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna see that a lot. Uh, but then, boom! Here comes British Bulldog and Owen Hart, and they attack Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then once again, we have the world's fastest flurry of officials come in, and uh, just as quickly as everybody runs down, they clear out too. Uh, and so Austin leaves, Brett, British Bulldog and Owen leave, and what we only have left is Bret Hart, who limps back into the ring. And he's feeling the chop block. And it's like, well, of course you are. I was like, Stone Cold Steve Austin is handing them out like candy tonight. And uh, so this is – now the story of the match is Brett is kind of on his – he's on his heels. He's hurt here, essentially. He's not just a heel. He's on his heels. Uh, and so Sid tries to drop Brett onto the exposed turnbuckle. But Brett pops off his shoulder, and he tries to push Sid into it. But then Sid drops down, and so Brett hits it anyway. And so it's this kind of like almost convoluted spot where it's like reversal, reversal. Brett ends up in the turnbuckle all the same. The exposed turnbuckle pad. And then Sid plants Brett with his big choke slam, and he kicks out a two, though. Brett does. And the crowd goes wild because you're like, well, I don't, like, exposed turnbuckle choke slam, not his finishers, but like pretty decent one two punch in terms of uh, move you're going to take. This was an amazing moment with my sons because uh, Owen said, Dad, why are they hugging? And then as soon as he said that, uh, Sid did the choke slam, and Owen looks at me and it's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> 
They weren't hugging. Whoa, that was sick. Yeah, I was it like, was I love wrestling and pressing itself on my boy. Like, this is so good. No, it's great. Um, so yeah, I, like it's getting good so quickly here. Uh, Sid goes to clothesline Brett outside, but Brett dodges him, and then he clotheslines Sid outside. He topples out with him. So they're both on the floor out by the announce table. And uh, he goes for a chair, and the chair that he goes for is the one that Shawn Michaels is in. And so Shawn Michaels, he gets up, he offers it to him, he says, hey, it's your match. You go ahead and take the chair. Now, as soon as he does take the chair, Shawn Michaels says, uh, look at the role model here grabbing the chair. You're kind of like, okay, you let him have it. And then you're kind of like, who's this? Uh, he's, he's so inconsistent or such a such a cheat. And now, Brett, Brett can't use the chair because Sid gets to him first. And then Sid confronts Shawn Michaels. And, he, and Shawn Michaels says, I have no issue with you. Now, earlier in the match, Shawn Michaels said, I have one issue with you, which is, is like, it? you should have many. He stole your title. He beat up your mentor. I, even it? the mentor thing is kind of a super reason you should be mad. Uh, and so Sid just pushes Shawn Michaels by the face into the barricade, which is like the most dismissive own of Shawn Michaels I've seen in quite some time. That's right. And I was like, great, that's awesome. Uh, and so the guy, the other two guys, the wrestlers in the match, they get back in the ring. Uh, and Shawn is mad. And so he leaves, he leaves the announce table and he goes and he hops onto the apron. And both guys are in the ring. Sid reverses an Irish whip. He sends Brett into Sean on the apron. And so uh, they, they collide. Sean falls down. Brett kind of smacks into him and kind of is like, oh, he's hurt. He turns right into Sid. Sid turns it right into a powerbomb. And Sid pins Bret Hart one, two, three to retain the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And, uh, yeah, Sid raises the WF Championship over his head, victorious. And <sighs> should have been Vader, guys. Should have been Vader. Should have been Vader. Now, Brett rolls out of the ring, and he's got a bloody nose. And I don't know if, if that's from earlier, if it's from that collision with Sean. He just busted up his nose in that brief instant. It's kind of surprising to see. And Brett's outside the ring, and he sees Shawn Michaels. And he just starts pummeling him. He's punching him. He tries to jersey Shawn Michaels like you would in a, a hockey fight, pulling the shirt over the that's head right. and punching him. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, and some officials run out, and they, they pull Brett away. And uh, Sean's shirtless. He's worked up. He starts approaching Brett. He starts drawing with some guys in the crowd who seem, he seems to be genuinely really pissed at. Uh, and they're saying probably all sorts of things to him that we probably he's can't almost, repeat on the podcast. He's flinching his fist at them. Like he's yeah, like, he's like, I want a bunch of guys. Um, and we see a replay of earlier. And when Sean gets hit by Brett and falls off the apron, he doesn't just fall off the apron. He falls off the apron onto his open chair and he hits his head on it. Yes. Which is a good – it's it's a padded chair. But, folks, if you fall from like six feet in the air, backwards eight feet, you know, if you take a wrestling bump and you land on a chair with your face, that would hurt. That would hurt yeah. no matter how much padding is there. And, uh, yeah, Shawn Michaels grabs a headset mic. He starts cutting what I can only imagine is a vicious promo against, Bre- against Bret Hart. But the but headset mic <laughs> does not work. It is not connected. Or it, it doesn't work until the very end when all we hear is Shawn Michaels says he wants to uh, kick Tr- Bret Hart's teeth down his mouth, down his throat. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and so Bret, Bret is mad. Shawn is leaving. And Sid is basking in the glory of the fans in the aisle. And we go off the air. But... We actually have two post-show dark matches as well. So let's talk about those quite briefly. We never saw them, so we'll talk about them in general. But um, Steve Austin took on Goldust. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, they both ran into the show, and they had a match there. I don't know why they couldn't use it as an opener instead of Leaf Cassidy versus Flash Funk, but they did. Uh, and then in the uh, main events, the dark match main events, uh, Shawn Michaels defeated Mankind, of all people oh. and all things. So, uh, yeah. Uh, my, a mind games repeat. Yeah, I presume Mankind got the straight jacket off, which I, that's my hope at least, uh, and it would, just so it would be fair. And so we have Shawn Michaels, who lost the WWF Championship and is still all over WWF television. 
He's on commentary for the main event, and he's in the actual main event to end the show. Must be nice. That's right. I mean, this this is this is the this year that we're covering. We're going to hear a lot of that kind of. We're going to see that complaint of Brett's that he's like he's the champ, but he's not in the main event scene. Like, yeah, Sean kind of main events the world, whether he has the title or not. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, and, and every time he's like on, it seems like Vince loves him, and he obviously loves him because he's giving him all these spots. It's yeah, it's I I find it frustrating. I'm sure Brett finds it very frustrating. I don't blame Brett for it at all. I I I love it. I love every single moment of it. Yeah, so that's it. Good good life for Sean. Uh, so Daniel, I'd love to get your your final thoughts on the show, uh, and then I'd love to get your rating. We rate this show. Uh, we have three kind of levels of it, and so you could say it's in the dungeon, which is means it's bad. You could say it's in the Nightheart Zone, which is not good, but it's not bad either. Or you could say it's a TBT, ITBT, WTBT, EWB. That is the best there was. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Daniel, your thoughts on the show and your rating. This this show is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. I'm not okay. doing that acronym because I don't have it written out in front of me. <laughs> Got to have it written now. That's the only way you can do it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend. Uh, what, <laughs> it, why? Why? Why does it hit that level for you? Yeah. So, so this was like, well, I mean, this was an expectation thing too. I was going yeah. into this pay per view with very low expectations. Looking at the card written out, I yeah. was like, "Ooh, this looks bad." But they like, I was really impressed with the fact that they just sort of like restrained themselves with the matches that they put on the card, yep. and then they used some really big talent as like dressing uh, for the matches and to make some really entertaining moments for so like. Having Stone Cold and having Sean kind of mix in with the main event and having Stone Cold earlier and Goldust even running it. Like, the, the run-ins were really well-placed um, and uh, made for some lively TV. And and the matches that were just straight matches were, were quite well-executed. Like, I think... Uh, Excellently executed, perhaps. Mark Miro was a very decent match. Uh, Too Cool Scorpio and... Uh, Al Snow. Al Snow. That was great. And uh, then the tag match even was, like, passable. So, you know, I was having a good time all the way through. There you go. There it is. Daniel says, thumbs up. TBT. I, anyway, that whole thing. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, you know, main event got good at the end. Was did not start, start off great. Uh, Armageddon rules end up being kind of dumb fun. The opener was decent. It's a brisk hour and 48 minutes. Everything else, pretty forgettable. I'll say I'm going to give it a slight Nightheart zone. I was kind of right. like, it's good. Uh, but honestly, these shows go down smooth. And even if they're not like the greatest thing in the world. And the fact is, if you can end with some fun main event nonsense and some like kind of sports entertainment gaga, especially if it's chaotic and there's people fighting afterwards uh, and not just the champion being like, look, he's the champion. He did it. It's fun. And I enjoy myself. And it's a good time. So I can't well, say. These, these we almost need two more categories because having three is kind of tough, you know, like it's like. Mm-hmm. Where would they go? Would you have like one, one, the <laughs> kind of in between? We we're kind of like, yeah, kind of like a, like a, no, well, like I, a forty percent to sixty percent. I think we might need tweeners for uh, between mm. medium and bad, and between medium and good, right? Like, interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What we, <laughs> I have to think about what those, what those would be. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't say you need to change. I'm just saying that I would have rated it a four if I didn't have sure. to rate it a three, right? Out of three, yes, I get that. that makes sense. I understand. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's it for this show. In your house, 12, it's time, exclamation mark. Uh, the next show we're going to be covering is the December 16th, 1996 episode of Monday Night Raw. And we do a bonus match. The bonus match is Bret Hart versus the one two three kid from the July 11th, 1994 episode of Raw, which will be fun. So if you are following along with us, you can watch that show, and you can watch that match, and you can join us next week on Hitman's 
last great year. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being with me, buddy. Thank you for, for stepping out of the YouTube studio for a moment to do a wonderful podcast with me. Much appreciated. I had a good time. I mean, joke's on you. I'm in my YouTube studio, but there you go. Uh, you know what? I'm happy to be here. There is a light behind you, which 100% should have, I should have been, should have noticed that, that you were very obviously there. Um, thank you for at least not simulcasting it. I appreciate that, that you're taking the time to Oh gosh! Uh, and fans, everybody listening, thank you, uh, 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 my Smack Addicts, for joining us. Uh, you can follow us, uh, Smack Addicts, Smack Addict Pod, on Instagram and Twitter. You can share the show with a friend if you think they would like it. If you like it, you have friends who like this kind of stuff, <laughs> share it with them. Uh, you can also uh, rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts, which always helps with discoverability of it. Um, so yeah, folks, this is the time. It's time now to end the show. Thank you. We'll see you next time.